morning, and welcome to Conversations. My name is Ed Hollihan. My guest this morning is Carla Bloom. Let me tell you a little bit about Carla, and then she can tell you about herself. She is the founder and executive director of the International Owl Center. That's right here in Houston, Minnesota. She had acquired Alice, who is a great horned owl, to use in educational programs in 1998, and began studying owl vocalizations in 2004. Maybe we can talk her into a couple of those. Carla is now the world authority on the subject and has given presentations around the world. Alice's popularity led Carla to create the International Festival of Owls, the first full weekend all-owl event in North America. It has inspired similar events, festivals in the U.S. and in other countries. Her testimony, and I love this part, her testimony before the Minnesota House and Senate Environment Committees gained protection for the Great Horned Owls in 2005. She's a TV star, too. She's appeared on Animal Planet and CBC's The Secret Life of Owls. My goodness, welcome to the show, Carla. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. I'm in my... 12th or 13th year of doing this, and I can't believe I haven't done a show with you, and we're neighbors just across the river. Well, you're doing it now. <laughs> Yay. Good for us. You're, you're right down 16, aren't you? Folks, cross the river. They'll see a sign for Highway 16. Yep. The Owl Center is literally right on Highway 16. That's, yeah. I was going to ask you to start the show, why on earth you had a freezer full of gophers, and then you let me know, oh no, Ed, it's not gophers. What's... What's that about? Uh, well, now it's rats and mice. So when we, when I started with Alice the Great Horned Owl, um, I mean, obviously you have to feed an owl, and they're strict carnivores. They are, aren't they? Yes. yes. Yeah. So every now and then people say, well, did they eat some bird seed? No. Strict, <laughs> strict carnivores, only meat. It's, Nothing else. It gives a whole new definition to the term bird feeder, right? Uh, <laughs> the yeah. feeder could be full of mm -hmm. meat. Correct. Um, so we used to get, I mean, I grew up on a farm, so okay. grew up trapping pocket gophers, so knew that was an available source and knew um, a couple of guys that kind of just did that. There's very, I mean, all the kids used to trap gophers right. when I was a kid, um, and now almost nobody does that anymore. Right. But there were a few adults that did it in a very serious way, and they would trap thousands per year. Holy mackerel. Yeah. Uh, that That's when it gets down to an art form. So mm -hmm. they're just turning in the front feet for the bounty and have no use for the rest of the bodies. So um, a couple of those guys would save them in the freezer and we'd come pick them up every now and then and that's what we fed our birds. So it was it worked out very well. We had free food. and How about it? Yeah. But why not now? What happened to... Well, after doing that for quite a few years... Then they came out with Roundup Ready Alfalfa. Uh, say that again, please. Roundup. <laughs> Roundup Ready Alfalfa. Uh -huh. uh, so then the so the the gophers are living primarily in the hayfields. Um, so that's where they're being trapped. Right. And the hayfields are mostly alfalfa, um, and they're mostly eating the roots of the alfalfa. That's kind of the primary thing they're eating. Mm -hmm. So. Then I started getting a little nervous about it, and then any time one of our birds would have some health issues, you'd kind of wonder, well, is this a contributing factor? And then our primary gopher trapper had some health issues and couldn't trap for a while, and I thought, okay, this is the time we need to make the switch and yeah. start start buying captive-bred rats and mice. Right. So, so now we don't have to worry about that anymore, but our food bill went from zero to about $5,000 a year. That's a significant jump. Yeah, that is. But. Oh, boy. 
But you know what? How can you? How can it not be worth it? Right. I mean, peace of mind. Peace there, of mind. Yeah. There, and healthy birds. Yes. Yeah. And there is one um, person that lives outside of Houston that has a long-standing organic farm, and she traps just a few gophers per year. So those those are their treat. They get some organic gophers. I say eat local. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know know where your food comes from. I yeah. like that. I'm glad you have one. I was going to say, but seriously, but it's all serious. Uh, would you start with the International Festival of Owls, everything about it? Yeah, well, the International Festival of Owls um, sort of just started as a hatch day party for Alice the Great Horned Owl. And what, what pray tell is a hatch day? Oh, you mean like a... A birthday. Birthday party. Except birds don't, they're not born, they hatch. <laughs> they hatch. So you have a hatch day party, nice. right? Um, so I was using Alice in education programs over at the Houston Nature Center, which is a trailhead for the R River Bike Trail. Mm, great trail, yeah. Yeah, and the only reason a little town, I mean, Houston's less than 1,000 people. The only reason we had a nature center was to attract people to come to the Houston end of the bike trail. So I was very cognizant that my job was tourism as well as environmental education. Mm, and thought, okay. Okay, well, how do you put those two things together? Well, Alice the Great Horned Owl was the only live animal there, and she... She was the star of the show. Cause she we sure was. <laughs> started doing programs before the center was even built. And um, and I thought, well, everybody likes Alice. And she hatched. We don't know exactly when. She was injured in the wild, but somewhere in late February, early March. And, of? Uh, 1997. Oh, okay. Yep. She's going to be 26 this year. Happy hatch day, Alice. <laughs> she's retired now, so she yeah. doesn't have to go to work. But at that time, I thought, well... You know, there's nothing going on. Everybody likes Alice. Let's do a hatch day party, and we'll bring in some live owls. We had Marge Gibson from the Raptor Education mm -hmm. Group, um, which is where Alice came from. Um, so she came in with some live owls, and we did some fun kid stuff and family things. And the first year, 300 people showed up. Not a bad first year hatch party. No, for the end of February in a town of less than a thousand. Less than people, a thousand. You got a lot of them. Yeah, we thought, well, that. That seems successful. Let's keep doing this. So the next year, we added a few more things, and more people came. And within a few years, there were people flying to Houston, Minnesota, from Alabama, California, New York. And we thought, why on earth are you flying to Houston, Minnesota in early March for our owl festival? It's it's not your warm weather destination uh, at all. No, especially if you're coming from warm weather. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we kind of realized there was nobody else in North America doing anything like it. And clearly there were a whole bunch of people that really liked owls. Clearly. So we thought, well, hey, we've got something unique. Let's build on it. And we added more and more things. We added, we had keynote speakers coming in. And I realized, you know, there's people who have dedicated their lives to making the world a better yeah. place for owls. And they, they never get any recognition. Let's, let's create a hall of fame and give them awards. <laughs> and instead of... Us doing the judging, we solicited the nominations, but I knew experts around the world, and I thought, well, this needs to be judged by their peers to to be of to make meaningful. it a real hall right. of fame, yeah, right. And uh, so we had judges from around the world judge these nominations that came in each year, and then the people came to Houston, Minnesota, to receive their awards and speak. So these are like literally all the top owl people on the planet were coming to Houston to talk. Ergo, international. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, I mean, we've had speakers from India, South Africa, all over Europe, Canada, the United States, um, Taiwan, 
Nepal. Um, so it's really? I mean, it's quite the cultural event for Houston. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's remarkable. Nepal. Mm-hmm. Gee, and this started, what year did this start? Oh. The festival started in 2003. 2003, okay. So oh, this, so this is a... 21st year. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. That's a nice, I love it when things are able to be, um, to sustain themselves for a nice long run like that. Yeah, it's and then it just kept growing, and after, once, you know, like maybe 2007 or something, we had more than 1,000 people coming. Well, that's more than the population uh, of our town. Yeah. And that's when we started thinking, well, you know, there's a wolf center, there's a bear center, there's an eagle there's center, an there's eagle a center, crane yeah. center, uh, but there's no all-owl education center anywhere in the United States. So why why don't we do that? Because, I mean, I was working at the Houston Nature Center, so I was doing all kinds of other environmental education, mm-hmm. but, but my heart was really with the owls, and I thought... Some of know. us noticed that, Carla. <laughs> really? <laughs> Most people Oh, have. just saying. Yeah. Um, but... I thought we can just do so much more if we just focused on owls. So I worked on putting together a board of directors, mm-hmm. um, got a Bush Leadership Fellowship where I did a self-directed program where I could choose what I thought I needed to know if I was going to start doing oh, an international okay. owl center because my background's biology, so it's not necessarily nonprofit management or all the other stuff that goes with For that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and as part of my self-directed program that I got to put together myself that they helped fund. Um, I did a uh, mini MBA in nonprofit management, mm-hmm. festival and event management courses, care and management of captive raptors, then toured facilities, um, similar facilities uh, all yeah. across the United States, yeah. and then two weeks in England touring facilities over there because they have quite a few raptor and owl centers over there. So kind of got all this huge amount of background and um, put together a board of directors, had to do some initial fundraising. So in 2015, uh, we opened as a separate nonprofit entity in a storefront in Houston, which, you know, you don't expect an owl center to be in a (laughs) brick storefront. And very coincidentally, it used to be Skifton's department store. I I know it well. We (laughs) used to live a couple of miles outside of Houston for three or four years. And I remember it's a lovely old uh, call it Victorian, but turn of the century, uh, downtown, small town, brick building. It's beautiful. I always liked it. And then the next time we came by, it's it's the Owl Center. Yeah. It was built in 1900, and Skifton's department store was actually run by my great aunt and uncle. No kidding. Which has nothing to do with us being there. Nothing to do with anything, but (laughs) Just coincidental. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. So you you moved into Skifton's. Yeah, and... uh, it had been used after they passed away. You know, it's kind of this big space in town, and it w- they had tried a couple restaurants in there, and it was just it mm-hmm. didn't work. It was too big, right. and, and for us, it's actually kind of small, but it was the biggest space in town we could use. Um, but because it's a brick building, it's not a suitable place for the owls to live, so they okay. they don't live there. They commute every day. We have an <laughs> owl mobile for anybody that's been there. They've seen the owl mobile outside. Yes, indeed. And the owls commute back and forth from their aviaries out in the country. And now we also have another place for like times like now when it's very, very cold mm-hmm. and it's too cold for some of the owls to be outside. Um, we've bought property where we're going to build our new center um, and that will meet our needs where the birds can actually live on site and we'll have large aviaries and park space and we'll be where you expect to find us, which is in a park at the edge of town rather yes, than in indeed. a brick building downtown. Um, Has and- that land 
been acquired? Is it? We purchased all five properties uh, right next to the park. Okay. Um, we've gotcha. removed some of those houses. One of them right now we use for cold weather housing for the owls. So mm-hmm. we have like three different places that the owls can be, which is kind okay. of a nightmare to figure out. Okay, where which bird is where, and where what food do we have to take out where and I'll who, bet. who's logistically who. that's kind of tough. Yeah, it's kind of a nightmare. I mean it. It's it's a blessing that we have it, sure. but it's it's a sure, logistical sure. nightmare. Let me go back a couple of uh, paragraphs. Um, you said um, aviary. What what pray tell does an owl aviary look like? Uh, How do you make them? What 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 do they like? Huge variety, based, okay. Okay. based on um, the point of it. So we have a big breeding and release training aviary for um, Iris the great horned owl and Rusty, her mate, who passed away a year ago, was living there. We had them as research birds for studying great horned owl vocalizations wild injured owls that are completely wild not used to people at all but couldn't live in the wild Um, but they would behave as normally as possible and then basically we put in a bunch of security cameras and spied on them and Mm -hmm. live streamed them and you can still watch iris on the live stream on youtube (laughs) um uh, to study their vocalizations and associated behaviors so that because it was designed for breeding those birds are never handled they have like a 14 foot interior ceiling uh, the main breeding pen is 12 by 36 which is attached to a 10 by 60 flight pen and there's a door that opens between them oh really yeah so that's designed does that literally mean a building where they can fly Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, because the intention was that they would raise young. We would observe them till they were vocally mature and doing their full adult territorial hoots and then release them to the wild because they would have been raised completely wild and then put telemetry on them and track them. Mm -hmm. So that's a very different design than what you would have for an education bird that you're handling and you need to be able to go in and, and pick them up because... Um, just like humans, all owls have days where they say, you know, I don't really <laughs> want to go to work today. And let me guess, an owl has the tools to enforce that uh, uh, yep. that, that that notion. And if, if they have a 14-foot ceiling and high perches, they're, you're not ever going to be able to pick them up. Right. They're going to look at you like, yeah, no, yeah, not going on. to work today. Come Forget on. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the education bird aviaries, the ones that we handle, those are smaller um, with lower ceilings, like eight foot tall. But then okay. we make sure we have slats on the top of the roof and then screen on the outside. We want to make sure we keep out the insects and the black flies that would bite them and uh, can transmit disease to the birds. Yeah. Um, and so you mean fine screen, not chicken wire. This is like no, window screen. This is, yeah. Well, okay. we found out window screen. <clears throat> Tell me. Well, it was fine until we got a wild pair of great horned out. We always have wild great horns in the area right. that, that pester our captive ones. Um, but we had one pair. You can identify them by voice, each individual you, bird's. You can. <laughs> well, and other people, you could learn too. I could probably teach you in five minutes. To, Even me? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my. Almost anybody can learn to do that. Okay. So they all sound slightly different. Um, and because of their voices, we could tell, okay, we've got a new pair coming in or there's, you know, a mate was lost and this one left that one and went over here. I mean, it's a total soap opera <laughs> of what has happened with wild owls. Okay. But we had a wild pair that we named Hager and Helga because they were oh, nice. so aggressive. Oh, really? And they would attack. Sort of Viking-ish. Yeah. They yeah. would attack the aviaries every single night, multiple nights. And they knew they couldn't get into our birds because on the outside was a layer of screen. There's a layer of wood and slats on the inside. So it's a double layer. There's so, no way they so could get in. how would this manifest itself? They'd, 
slam into the, the building, side of the aviaries, in, yeah. and they um, poked a lot of holes and ripped a lot of holes in the aluminum screen that we had the whole entire enclosure wrapped in. Is this this is a territorial thing? Yeah, like you're oh, on yeah. my turf. And they wanted to drive them out. And, yeah, and. They didn't give up when they realized they couldn't. They just kept doing it. They're wired. <laughs> so we had to, um, we switched to pet mesh. So the pet mesh that you can get for your door screens um, also. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So like against dog and cat It's a lot claws, tougher. It yeah. works against owl talons also. Who knew? They just bounce off. Jeez. So we have security cameras so we can see what's going on. Um, yeah. So we had to. Yeah, regular windows. Can you tell um, over the course of your studies? Does this affect how the uh, the uh, protected owl behaves? Do they get? Oh, absolutely. They, they must get frightened. Oh, I mean. yeah, because the ones on the inside are trying to attack back. Oh, what a show! Yeah, what and a... they'll fly back and forth. They're agitated. They're hooting. Um, the first year that we had Rusty and Iris, um, we got them in the fall, and they had been housed together for a few years. They had been foster parents together. But owls don't do change very well, so it was okay. kind of, you know, for them to breed that first winter would have been mm. a small miracle. Mm -hmm. um, but we had wild owls that came in and, and kept harassing them. They would walk around on the roof of their aviary hooting at them, and uh, we, we watched multiple times Iris throw up on cam, not casting a pellet, not From the stress. normal. Um, so I was very concerned and took her to the raptor center, and they said she's fine. So yeah. it it most likely was from stress of being harassed. My goodness, it is a soap opera. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> only just scratching the surface. Do you ever get, I don't mean afraid of the owls, afraid for your owls? Do you think somebody's finally going to have too much and... No, the the aviaries are built so that a wild uh, one okay. can't get in there, okay. and that's that's essential that they be built so that. Um, burrowing predators, climbing predators, and aerial predators can't get in there. I'm not sure whether I want to go ahead with... Uh, no, let's save future plans for the near future of this show. And let's get back for a second to um, the growth of the Owl Center in, in Minnesota. I remember... What was the name of the first place? The Nature? The Houston Nature Center. Yeah, I remember you had uh, these lovely glass cages with all manner of things in there, you know, rattlesnakes and mm -hmm. gophers and, and stuffed animals and Yes. And then that that was a general purpose, right? That was the notion was you just were, nature and local nature in general. Okay, like a natural history museum, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it was your passion to take it into owls or Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean that that's where things were going. That's <laughs> We got so much publicity because of the owl fest and owl things and and whatnot. Oh, and that's right. The 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 hatch party is is already going on. Is mm -hmm. concurrent with the early days of the. Yep. Yeah. So the, the Nature Center, Center gotcha. opened in 2001. We started the hatch day party in 2003. And you know, as a small nature center, we have to raise funds, and so we kind of tried a variety of different events, and we had some really cool ones. We had an artifact show, and we had. Um, I don't even remember some of the other ones. But we we tried a variety of different events and they were I mean, we had some really cool events, <laughs> but nothing nothing was attended like the Owl Festival. Yeah. So and yeah. you know, my passion was there and there were so many cool people and there's so much to learn about owls. I remember the first time uh, meeting Alice face to face or nose to beak or whatever it is, um at the 
early nature center. It was, it's, it's so impressive to be close to something, at least in my life, was always a nighttime experience in a distant tree by vocalization. And it was so great to be like, wow. And I think that's why people are attracted to mm -hmm. this because there's kind of this mystique. You don't get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to go out and see some owls At today. the feeder, right? Yeah, right. No. I mean, you've got to be really good and or lucky to, mm -hmm. to actually see an owl and especially see it well. Um, so I think there's this kind of mystery around them because we mostly just hear them after dark. And you, if you see them, it's kind of a shadow gliding in front of you. And, right. and you don't ever really get that good close-up view. So I think that's why people like to come and see um, the captive birds so um, they can experience more fully what they, what they are. I think we're going to take a break on that note. The notion of being up close to birds, and then we'll talk a whole lot more about that. You're listening to Conversations. That's our Thursday morning radio talk show. And my guest today, so happy to have her, is Carla Bloom. Thanks again for coming in. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You folks stay right there. We're coming back. <laughs> We're back. My guest today is Carla Bloom of the International Owl Center. She just happens to be the executive director of that place. Thanks again. Glad to have you. Fun to be here. Hey, as promised, we're going to come back to uh, the exciting details of the International Owl Fest. That's coming up when? Um, Mar uh, March 3rd to the 5th. That's the first weekend in March. Yep, it's always the first weekend in March. That's Alice's Hatch Weekend. Well, we don't know exactly when, but it's when we designate <laughs> Pretending is fun, yeah. I think. Um, where is the International Owl Center? The festival? or The, the festival, well, I'm sorry. Both are in Houston, Minnesota. Oh, right. Yeah, and the festival kind of takes place all over Houston because we don't have any one place that's mm -hmm. big enough for everything. The bulk of the events take place at the Houston High School. So that's where, that's kind of the festival headquarters. But then, of course, we have things going on at the Owl Center itself. Um, we have an owl face pancake breakfast at the Lutheran Church. Excuse me? Yeah. What is an owl face pancake? You have to come and see. <laughs> With Fair real, enough. real maple syrup. Oh, hey, you know what? I have to stop you um, 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 because people are saying, well, where do I find out about this? How do I, hey, who do I call? What do I, would you care to give some contact info for the sure. festival? For the festival, the festival has so much going on, it's literally got its own website. It's not... Excellent. Um, so that's festivalofowls.com. One more time. Festivalofowls.com. And then our, our, the Owl Center's website is internationalowlcenter.org. So there are two separate websites. The Owl Center website will direct you to the festival website for gotcha. full details. Okay. So those of us with less capacity in our in our aging brains can use one or the other, and we'll find each other. Or right? just type it in on a on a search engine, and you'll find it. You'll it find comes it. up easy. Okay, cool. Okay, back to I believe we were at an owl face pancake breakfast when when last we talked. Yes, so that's put on by the church. Um, so that's a, a very fun event. So your your pancake has two slice, slices of hard-boiled eggs for eyes and <laughs> sausage for beak and ear tufts, and you get real maple syrup to go on your pancake. 
We we do have some real maple syrup around these parts. We do. We indeed. surely do. Yeah. The, the good stuff, folks. This is the good stuff. Yeah. So those are owl pancakes. How charming. Mm -hmm. And the good folks. I forget the name of the church. The good uh, Cross of Christ Lutheran Church. Cross of uh, the good folks there partner with you and do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we want to make sure that this is benefiting the whole community and not just the Owl Center, so it, it's raising money for them. Mm -hmm. um, we also have the Boy Scouts do the Owl Nest Box building, so all the profits from that go to the Boy Scouts to support their programs. Uh, tell me more about that. The nest boxes are built for the public to purchase, is that? Sure, so they have basically um, pre-cut wood, Mm -hmm. um, so it's in the shop at the high school, <laughs> and you go in and you pay your your fee, mm -hmm. and um, then they will coach you on. Oh, yeah. So they've got the power tools and That's equipment. That's even better. Yeah, and I think the holes are pre-drilled to make sure you get things in the right places. Yeah, and square is important. As yeah. We know. <laughs> and assembled properly, and so kids can do it also. Or if you just really want to be lazy, you can go in there and, and say, here, will you say, put, one put one together for me? For me. They, yeah. they do that also. Tell me what's a typical, is there a typical nest box for? Um, the two owl species most likely to use nest boxes around here would be eastern screech owl and barred owl. And you right. have to enunciate barred. Barred as opposed to the other barn, one. A barn, which is rare around here. Yeah. But increasing. Now the screech one is tiny, right? Well, I wouldn't say it's a tiny okay, box. Okay, it's if, not a what's it. When, when you're putting it up in a tree, it does not feel <laughs> tiny. <laughs> so how big is a nesting box, typically? Okay, hold uh, your hands up closer yeah, to the microphone, yeah. Carla, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we can see that. What are you showing me, 18 inches by... Well, I think the, the base of the screech owl box might be 8 by 8. If you go to the International Owl Center's website in the DIY section... 8, eight, eight by 8 inches. Uh, on, the, on the floor yeah, of the bottom. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So if you go to the International Owl Center's website in the DIY section, you'll find plans for nest boxes also. <laughs> but if you're really lazy, like some of us, you could... Uh, you can just say, hey, will you build one for me and kindly. walk home If with you it. ask nice enough, you'll get one? Yep. That's good. So screech, and both of those you want to put up fairly high in a tree, and getting them up in the tree is the hard thing. So there's a lot of people, I think, that build them and say, great, and then they get home and go, oh, my gosh. Yeah, would you uh, come out and install this for me? Yeah, and that's kind of the issue is there's not really a nest box installation service. I got it. I got it. Is it is a tree mandatory? Can it be on your barn? Can it be? Uh, a, a, a tree's going to be the that's best. That's what you want. The, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Again, if you're any, anything like me, which equals afraid of heights, um, have some young, healthy climber put that up for you, okay? Yeah. Don't go up there yourself. So nesting boxes, that's that's another venue and another thing that happens. What else happens at the... Uh... Uh, we have owl pellet dissection. So these are pellets that our owls have thrown up. So when owls digest, they don't digest the fur and the bones. That okay. gets balled up into a pellet in the stomach, and then once or twice a day it's covered with mucus and comes right back on up. So um, we always have to remind people that pellets are puke, not poop. So they come out the mouth. Would you say that again, please? That's <laughs> such a lovely slogan for a life. Yes. Uh, pellets are puke, not poop. Thank you. Thank you. I'm making notes. So now, now you know. <laughs> now, now I do know. Now this must be a, a marvelous bit of forensics to, to be able to dissect uh, right. what, what the bird ate. So the fun thing about owl pellets, there's a lot of other birds that 
that throw up pellets. Okay. Um, people always think about owls, but um, all the hawks do it. Kingfishers do it. Robins like, can do it. Like daily, twice a day? I mean, uh, it depends a, on the species and okay. what they've eaten. And what you've eaten. If mm-hmm. you haven't eaten, I don't suppose you right. find a pellet. Or if you yeah. eat things that are only completely gotcha. digestible, like if you eat a worm, there's not going to be anything that's going to be cast right. up or thrown up from that. But your particular pals, the owls of North America, are eating a good deal of um, pretty solid material. Yeah, there's so the... The fun thing about owl pellets is because the bones don't digest, it's easier to figure out what they've been eating. So what you're looking for, for sure. is the skull. That's the easiest to identify, looking at the teeth and the shape of the skull to figure out what they ate. <clears throat> oh, okay. I'm going to keep on interrupting you every time I learn something. Um, why would you go for... Skull has to be the hardest thing to get down, doesn't it? I mean, it's a big but bone. Sometimes if it's a large thing like a squirrel or a rabbit, they would have to tear it up. But okay. mostly, you know, if they're eating mice, rats, bulls, sure. things right like down. that, it'll go down mostly intact. Sometimes they'll crunch the back of the skull. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they have fairly powerful... Uh... Yes. <laughs> I mean, skull crunching is... is... Yeah. I mean, it's not like they have rock hammers, but... So think of the Tootsie Pop. Um, commercial. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll? A one, a two, a three. Crunch. That's what they like to do with the back of the head. Crunch. It's a charming image. I like that. Tootsie Pop size and a crunch. Well, they don't have all day. You couldn't lick a mouse skull into submission, could no, you? No, no. Not really into licking things. No, no. So it's actually quite a, an efficient system, isn't it? I mean, they get it works for them. It works for them. <laughs> and it works for you. You get to dissect their pellets. Yeah. Now, when folks walk into this workshop, um, what are they issued? You have to bring your own scalpel? What, what, what? <laughs> no, we give you paper towels and toothpicks, and there's rubber gloves available if you want them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's easier to work without them. Some people are more comfortable with them. Sure. We, we have heat sterilized the pellets already. So we have, oh, really? We okay. bake them in an oven. I don't suggest <laughs> doing that at home unless you don't mind really funky smells in your house for a while. It is from somebody's insides, so yeah. Yeah, it smells kind of funny, but it kills any any sure, bugs that I are get in it. there. So yeah. the main thing that we w- want to make sure is not in there is salmonella, and that mm. generally would come from the birds' droppings and from eating uh, eating food that's infected with salmonella. Gotcha. So we always make sure that the pellets that we provide have not been in contact with the poop; they've landed somewhere good separate from yeah. the droppings. Um, and then we do heat treat them also. Um, in a big batch in an oven in one of the houses that we're eventually going to tear down. So nobody's <laughs> living there. Always cook pellets in the house that you're going to tear down. Yeah. Words of wisdom from Carla. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, um, folks do, I assume this is supervised. Somebody's telling them what they're looking at. And yep, we that have kind a, of stuff. a yeah. couple of volunteers there that are experienced in helping to identify the different prey species that are in the pellets. Yeah. I and must say, you have some of the most wonderful people working at that center with you, who I assume work the festival too, right? Yeah, um, so the staff generally are working over at the Owl Center for the most part, and mm-hmm. then we, the festival takes probably close to a hundred volunteers to put on. A hundred? Yeah, wow. so that's a significant portion of the population of our community. It, it is. Yeah. Good for you guys. What else goes on there? Um, uh, so the, the big thing that draws in the most people is the live owl program. Amen, sister. So we bring in, besides our live owls, we bring in the Illinois Raptor Center um, from Decatur, Illinois, and they bring mm. in a live snowy owl, which so is beautiful. the most popular I by bet. far. 
Um, and then usually they bring a barn owl that usually will fly and when you round up in the rafters up in the top of the gym, which they were very frustrated with, but the public loves owl misbehavior better than owl behavior. Of course. Yeah. So I remember you warning us on one of our trips uh, to the sent the current center, which is a relatively small room for, for a live owl show. Um, your standard warning as one of them was about to fly around the room is remembered birds poop and yeah, and thankfully they usually don't poop when they're flying. Right. It's before they fly. Right. But yeah. Right. But it's 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 good to remember. Mm-hmm. So how did you coax this bird down from the rafters? How it did this took I think he had to get through it was the morning program because we do two live owl programs a day. Okay. What time what times of day would that uh, be? they're different on Saturday and Sunday. Both have nine thirty programs and then the Saturday one. Is okay. that three? You have to Again, check the schedule. There's this wonderful website, and yeah. you can find this there. Yeah. Okay. So this 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 bird was uh, sitting up in the rafters. Was yeah. it a great horn? Did you say? No, that was a barn owl. Barn with an N. R N. All right. So did you say here, birdie, birdie? Did you hold up a gopher? Where did you? We had to keep everybody out of the gym. Really? Yep. Everybody was blocked out of the gym. Oh, there's a great show. Yeah. And. <laughs> backed up in the in the locker room in the back entry oh. to the gym and out in the hallway waiting oh. to come in while they tried to coax it down with food and I don't think it came down during the second program just sat in the rafters during the whole program and then after everybody left then it finally came down okay so that bird had a great day mm-hmm. got to sit up there making faces at people and yes <laughs> can't, yeah. can't catch me and the public got such a kick out of that and the staff were so frustrated I'll bet I'll bet a lot, okay, back to the, the the usual occurrences at the a live animal presentation, which I adore. I've had the pleasure of being at more than a few of them. Um, it's just it's just great to be next to the birds. Mm-hmm. And they walk the birds around the audience. So mm-hmm. it's in the high school gymnasium, and we do have large crowds. So some of the crowds can be three to five hundred people or more. Wow. Um, but they do have aisles, so they can walk them up and down, and people can see them um, up close after the program. Sometimes also. Now these are obviously captive birds. Are they used to? I'll call it performing. Are they used to? Um, there's a variety of birds they bring. So some of their birds are wild, injured, non-releasable, and mm-hmm. then um, like the snowy is a captive bred bird, and the barn owl is a captive bred. So they're more used to being around people. Mm-hmm. Are there are there techniques? You don't have to give away all your secrets. Are there techniques for keeping them relaxed, for keeping them happy yeah. when they're on your on your glove and varies with the species and the individual. Children. Okay, okay. Do you talk to them? Do you pet them? Do you? Um, well, so I would never use the word pet because okay, good because they're not pets and they will bite you even if they've grown up with you. Mm-hmm. They're still always wild animals. Got it. Um, That's a good thing to remember. With some species we can use allopreening to calm them. So um, a mated pair of certain species um, the female and male will preen each other's heads because mm-hmm. they can't preen their own head. Right. And that is a calming relaxing thing for them. Okay. So if a bird of one of those species has grown up around humans, like some of our birds that we use for educators, 
um, they think they're a human. They've imprinted right. on humans. So they perceive us to be a mate. So then they allow us... We'll accept that. Yeah, then. they would allow us to do that. Got and it. Um, it, it does calm and relax them. So that's the context. So it's not like we're just saying, oh, aren't you cute and pet you? And that calms right. them down. It's you got to go, always go back to their instincts. It always... Okay. Even if they've been <clears> raised <throat> with humans and their human imprints, they're still hardwired to be you owls. You haven't changed who they are. Right. Right. They still have all those instincts. Yeah. I love that... People don't use it enough now that we think we can engineer anything, but the concept of wiring, this being is what it is, and some things are not going to change. Right. They're, <laughs> they're just always hardwired to be owls. And even um, Ruby, our great horned owl, who is, you know, just never, she's, she works great with all of our staff. Mm -hmm. She's never been a problem. And once out of the blue for absolutely no discernible reason at all, and we have it on security camera so we could review and see what happened. For absolutely no reason, she slammed one of our educators in the back of the head and poked holes in their scalp. No kidding. Yeah. It, for absolutely no reason that we can discern. Just pow. Something yep. triggered. Mm-hmm. And she was hatched with us in captivity yeah. in our breeding project. This is good old Ruby. I, yeah. I've met Ruby. Yep. She's mm -hmm. gentle. Only once. Only so, <laughs> maybe only need one reminder. Right. So people always think, oh, you know, they're fine with you and whatever. But they're, they're still always wild animals. And Piper, our barn owl, you know, she's all lovey-dovey with me. She thinks I'm her maid, and it's all sweet and cute, and people mm -hmm. love that. And it's like, and there's a sign right in front of her spot at work that says, beware of attack owl. And people are like, oh, haha, ha, that's yeah, cute. Ha, ha. And it's like, no, that's that's for it's, real. It's it's how they catch their food and how right. they defend their... And she's our most dangerous one. Even she though she's not the biggest one, she's right. the most dangerous because if, if anybody else, including any of the other staff, get in her space, she will go for their face. No kidding. Yep, and we had a staff... Is that feet first? Is that how they first. attack? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ow. So for, for all the people that think, oh, it's you see those YouTube videos and, oh, aren't <laughs> owls cute and I would love yeah. an owl as a pet? Okay, reality. They're, they're wild animals, no matter what and how cute they look in those videos. Tell me about an owl's uh, talons. Is talon the right word? Correct. For, for their, okay. For their toenails, yes. For their toenails. Talons, uh-huh. Tell me about those. Uh, they continuously grow just like our toenails. They're self-sharpening. They flake. They are. Yep. I was going to ask you that. Yep. They don't have to, like, what do rats do? They chew to sharpen their teeth. The toenails are self-sharpening. Yep. Um, so I, I don't understand how they grow, but there's little layers that will flake off that somehow oh. keep them the right shape. And okay. if we snip the tips off because they're getting a little long because in captivity they don't get as much wear and tear, mm -hmm. Um, they will just over the course of a few weeks self-sharpen. No kidding. Yep. So the the outer surface just sloughs off. Um, it flakes off. Flakes off. And same okay. with their bill. Now these um, their grip strength and their sharpness are awesome. Yes. So people always ask, what is the grip strength of an owl? Mm, and okay. I always always say, I have no idea <laughs> because I have never. I mean, it's a lot. It, I can tell you that I've had a great horned owl poke puncture my hand through a leather glove that was two layers of leather. Um, he was really mad when he mm -hmm. did it uh, to give you an idea of what they're capable of. They can bruise you through a leather glove just by gripping so hard. Um, so they have really strong grip strength, really, really strong. Um, as far as scientific studies of it, the the only real study that I've seen measuring grip strength looked at paired hawks and owls like diurnal, nocturnal counterparts. So mm -hmm. barred owl, 
red-shouldered hawk, mm -hmm. great horned owl, uh, red-tailed hawk, screech owl, kestrel. And they looked at the bone and muscle structure. Oh, fascinating. Um, and, you know, the angles and the leverage and that kind of stuff. But then they also put them on a perch um, that had one of those little grip jobbies. I don't remember what they're called. Um, in there the, the technical term is actually grip jobby. Oh, okay. I, I Just didn't so even you know, know I was being yeah. technical, you know? <laughs> I looked it up. Great. Um, and then the methodology was not that great. They mm, yeah. pu pushed on the bird's chest or pulled on the jesses on their ankle and then measured how strong they squeezed. The reaction. Them. Yeah, so, it's like, so okay, they can squeeze way yeah, yeah. harder than that. That is... I tell not. you what, and I'm, I'm serious, I'm, one of our last trips to the lovely Eagle Center, north of you guys, on the river, they have um, a squeezer thing for the a, public to use. A jobby, a grip. A grip jobby. jobby. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I knew you'd pick that up. Um, and it obviously can measure how far you're compressing the two parts of it. And then it compares that to if an eagle had your size and your, what would it be? And it was... <laughs> I mean, I'm a little old guy, so I don't have the greatest grip in the world anyway. But I squeezed it, and I'm holding up a graphic. Um, here's where my squeeze was. It's at the very tiniest, slivery, front-endiest part of the scale. And boom, there's where the <laughs> eagle is, which would have you know, crushed the machine. It's, mm -hmm. it's mind-boggling. Yeah, the, but the interesting the thing from yes. this study was, although the grip strength that they gave certainly is not maximum grip strength right. at all, um, but what they found was when you pair the hawk and the owl of the same size diurnal nocturnal counterparts, okay. the owls have twice the grip strength of the hawk. Twice? Twice. Twice as much. Because they have shorter tarsi, their their legs are shorter and stockier, um, so they're built to, owls to really grab. Yep, the owls. Yeah, got it. Wow, that's impressive. Of course, if, if you have to catch your food in flight and then take it somewhere, you had better be hanging on pretty Pretty strong. But it's interesting that the owls have twice the grip strength of the it hawk because they're both kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, we got to, there's so many places to go. And here we are sneaking up on yet another break because we need to take a breath here. We've covered a lot of ground. You're listening to Carla Bloom today on Conversations. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a pleasure to be talking to her. My name is Ed Hollihan. You stay right there because we're coming back. We're back with Carla Bloom, who's the executive director of the International Owl Center over there in our neighbor city of Houston, Minnesota. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Before we go any further, how about that contact info again? Uh, the website for the Owl Center is internationalowlcenter.org, and the Festival of Owls is festivalofowls.com. And they can find out anything they want to know, right? Just about. Especially for upcoming events, I mean. That, definitely. Yeah. Hey, we were we were talking about the details. Speaking of upcoming events, we were deeply into the details of what happens at the International Festival. And I know you have some more on your list that you want folks to know. Would you sure, care because to share it, that? It is an international festival. Ah, uh, uh, that's a big word. <laughs> yes. Yeah. People say, well, why is it international? So we present the World Owl Hall of Fame Awards. We do have international speakers most years. And this year we have Ruar Solheim from Norway as our keynote speaker. Solheim, what a great name. 
yeah, very Norwegian, right? Extremely, yes. <laughs> so he's he's been to Houston many, many times. Um, he actually does all of our owl mounts for us also. So we have 18 of the 19 species that occur in North America as mounted specimens. Oh, no cur- kidding. Courtesy of him also. The ones in the center? Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you, Mr. Solheim. And he's, he's a fun, entertaining guy, so he'll be a great... <laughs> Great presenter. And then we also have a very local presenter also, Marcus Mika, who actually is originally from Switzerland, but he's been in the U.S. a very long time. He's a professor at UWL, and he's going to be speaking about his flammulated owl research. And those are cute, now, obscure now, little things. Hold it. What, what pray tell, is a flammu... It's just fun to say. What is a flammulated owl? It is a little bitty, bitty, bitty... Uh, <laughs> It is little. I mean, you look at it and go, what? So it's smaller than anything we have in the eastern U.S. They live in the mountains. They have dark eyes and an abnormally low voice for, for their size. For a size. little bird. Yep. And they live up in the mountains. in Like Rockies or um, not those mountains? Yeah, a variety of mountains out okay. west in different, okay. different disjunct places. And they're migratory. They eat insects. Wow. Flammulated. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a new word to win bar bets with. It'll there be flammulated. There you go, and you can come and see a mounted one at the Owl Center now. Ah, so give me a, give me inches. How 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 big are they? Oh, Six. tiny. Yeah, five inches. Five. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. Wow, little bitties. And who is this? Uh, Marcus Mika. What a great, mm-hmm. another great name. Yeah. You you call on people just for their names, don't you? Not specifically. <laughs> it works. We had a neighbor weekend back in January. You also have this marvelous notion about events specifically for local neighbors. Could you could you tell us about that? Sure. So in the winter months, it's slower at the Owl Center. And for people who live nearby, sometimes you just don't get out to those local things in your area. So we like to give people an excuse to come. Um, so in December every year, we do an Iowa Neighbor Weekend for residents of Winnishik and Almakee counties. And then in January each year, we do a weekend for Winona, Houston, and Fillmore County residents. And in February each year, we do one for um, Wisconsin residents uh, of Vernon, Tremplow, and La Crosse counties. Now, unfortunately for our listeners, that one is already passed, right? Yes, just <laughs> passed. So put it on your calendar to watch for February of yeah. next year. You know what? That's a real good idea. I just love that notion that uh, I like doing things local, and uh, that's a great idea. Is that uh, how long you've been doing that? Um, Give or take. We opened in 2015. We probably started in 2016. Okay. I think. Okay. Look forward to it next year. Hey, you have a huge future ahead of you in this still-to-be-realized new international center. Um, let's talk some about the plans you have for that place. Right. So people come to Houston, and they don't expect to find us in a brick building downtown because it's not exactly an ideal facility. But it works to start. Absolutely. Um, Because if we couldn't do anything until we had a multi-million dollar facility, (laughs) well, we're going to have to wait a while. You would be on a big pile of other not-for-profits that, yeah. Didn't get off the ground. Yeah. So we are working on building a new facility where you would expect to find us at the edge of town where there's park space where the birds can live on site instead of have to commute back and forth um so right now we're working with an architectural firm to do the final concepts for that um and 
after that, then there's the fundraising phase and then the building phase, which will probably take about a year. So if everything mm-hmm. went beautifully... Yeah, let's say in, in the best of all worlds. Yeah, if everything went perfectly, we'd be open in 2025. Really? Mm-hmm. That still sounds... I'm sure it sounds soon to you too, but... Um, but it sounds wow. so far away as, you know, as we work in our current facility and we have one toilet. And like, for instance, yeah. for International Owl Awareness Day, yeah. we had 430 visitors and there's one toilet. Oh, dear. That is, and there's no place to put another one. Oh and we have dear. one acoustic space. So as I'm sitting in the office and the phone rings, everybody in the program hears the phone ringing and I'm trying to talk quietly so I'm not disturbing the program. You know what? It's just that kind of stuff that you went and got all kinds of extra training for because... You know, if I were an expert in some animal, the last thing I would think of is how many restrooms do we have per guest? I mean, (laughs) my goodness. But it's just some basic things. And, you know, there's not enough room for people to sit. Sometimes it's standing room only and people still can't squish into the space and see where the program is. And, you know, it's just what we have to deal with until we can build what we need to have. So overall... I'm not asking you for what color the doorknobs are going to be, but uh, what sorts of structures do you do you imagine on your new space? Uh, well, key is we're going to have three different kinds of aviaries. So one one set of aviaries will be for the program birds that we handle on the fist, both on-site and doing off-site programs, and they will be off display, so they get way more downtime than they do now, and right. they will only come out for programs. Then we will have display-only aviaries, and we'll have a set of those attached to the building that are two-part for birds that need climate control. So then we can have things like, say, a spectacled owl that's native to the tropics. So that bird would have a heated space they could be in or an unheated space, space, depending on Mm -hmm. time of year. And then we will also, down in the park, have uh, walk-through aviaries where there's literally a section where there's nothing between you and the owls. And that design I thought was impossible, but it was pioneered by Wolfgang Schertzinger in the Bavarian National Forest in Germany, and nobody has done it in the United States. Well, Carla, you gotta tell me how you do that if there's nothing between you. But it's based on the owl's instincts, because owls like to be high, and you can't put an owl in there that's a human imprint that's not scared of people. It has to be like a non-releasable owl that hasn't been hand-reared. Um, so it's going to naturally want to be as far away and gotcha. as high as it can be. So you give the aviary depth and height. Um, you slope the aviary roof down to the people because if an owl is scared, it would never want to fly down. It would want to be up high. So it's not going to fly where the people are. Um, and there's things about viewing angles and a whole lot of other things. Um, but, the, but the people don't get to just wander around willy-nilly in the aviary. There's sort of a set space with a partial divider wall to keep the people where they're supposed to be. So, so the, the real magic is in, in choosing birds who don't want to land on your shoulder. Or, uh, or, yeah. or worse. <laughs> oh, the apiary design is extremely key. But also, yes, the birds that are put in there, are. It, there's there's criteria for that also. Yeah, that's fascinating. I want to be there. You're right, 2025 20, is too far away. I want to I walk in there today, now. Me too. Okay, so you got these three main buildings. Is there, what, what kind of acreage is this? What's, how, um, how big is the it place? It should be about five acres. Okay got it all said and done okay and you have you say you have an architect um, who obviously must be somewhat familiar with how to work with we have to give a lot of instruction they have done zoo work before so they're not okay. totally it's they're not partially totally a foreign concept partially them, the but, way there yeah 
But so this is really a, a partnership. You're, yes. you're you're telling folks all along mm -hmm. what goes where and how it goes. How can is there a way for folks to follow the the progress? Of, yeah. So uh, getting on our e newsletter is the best way to keep okay. up with when our programs are, what's going on with Owlfest. We also do virtual owl expert speaker series where we have experts yeah. from around the world um, do presentations that anybody can tune into, um, and we have an archive of those on our website too. Um, but yeah, keep up with our news with our e-newsletter. And if you go to our website, internationalowlcenter.org, um, there'll either be a pop-up that you see or there'll be a yellow tab on the bottom that you can click on to sign up for our e-newsletter. I'm, I'm proud to be a subscriber and I, I, it's really well done, by the way. Is that your work or is, is that? Yeah. And come you, on, you can take credit. It's okay. And so I don't send out that many. So for people who get irritated by getting an enormous amount of email <laughs> from organizations, you're not going to get an it, enormous it amount. It won't be from you. Because I don't have time to send you an enormous <laughs> right. amount of emails. I will send you when there's something important to say. Yeah. This was, I love the, the virtual speaker stuff. Yeah. Anyway, well done. My compliments. Thanks. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. As anyone who spends any time on the internet knows, you can see a lot of stuff that you'd rather not. I mean, why? <laughs> why was it produced that way? Anyway, it's beautiful. Um, you c should consider going there. Once again, the, uh, the way to get there, what's the contact for uh, the e-newsletter? Uh, internationalowlcenter.org. And then either there's a pop-up box or if, that you can sign up from. And there's two different e-newsletters. One is mm -hmm. the General Owl Center one, and one if you're more scientific and want uh, ah, okay. to know about the upcoming World Owl Conference that we're having in La Crosse in October of this year or um, summaries of recent owl research, um, that's a separate e-newsletter. So you can either sign up for both or one or the other. Gotcha. So I got to ask you, Carla Bloom, you do so much with your birds of choice. Um, what's, first of all, how did you get there <laughs> to doing what you do now uh, in uh, a few minutes or less? And what's the juice? You know, why do you, why do you do what you do? To me, it's magic. It's something I would never think of. And here you are doing all of it. Uh, well, I grew up on a farm, okay. which, yeah, outside of Spring Grove, and my job was raking hay, and the red-tailed hawks would follow me around because I was scaring up food for them, so mm -hmm. that's kind of how I got intrigued by hawks and nature and, you know, just being able to run around out in the woods all the time. It's a great education, isn't it? It's fantastic. And I uh, was in 4-H, so 4-H nurtured, mm -hmm. you know, the wildlife project and things like that, and went to college, Luther College, for biology, uh, yes. and worked under an ornithology professor there, Tex Sordahl. Um, Happens to be a neighbor of mine. Hiya, Tex. Thanks for listening. <laughs> And uh, he kind of took me under his wing as his work-study student and uh, taught me all kinds of things. And I was introduced to a falconer at some point, mm. and I thought, oh, I would love to do falconry. That's what I want to do. Yeah. yeah, so after I graduated from college, I did falconry for a little bit, and then I was living in Houston. Uh, and the city of Houston was developing the bike trail and mm -hmm. had decided they wanted the trailhead to be a nature center, mm -hmm. and I had been commuting all over the place for for a uh, job. and kind of raised my hand like, oh, can I help with yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, so I, I want to do that. Build that from the ground up. But in talking to other nature centers, they said, hey, start doing programming before you have a facility. You don't have to have four walls and a roof to be able to do programs. So I thought, well, hey, you know, I'm interested in birds of prey. Let's get a non-releasable one to use for education programming. And I was looking for a hawk, and there were no hawks available. And <laughs> this, this is how it went down. My my best friend Julie got married the summer of 98. <laughs> 
And she said, oh, you got to meet this friend of my husband. He's a bird guy. And I and he built cages for a rehabber in Wisconsin. And I said, well, does she have any any birds that need placement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got a couple great horned owls. So literally write down her name on a napkin and a phone number. And that was how the world changed by Alice the Great Horned Owl coming into my life and starting everything in Houston. That's how you and Alice got together. Yep, and that's what started because the whole Because your Alice best thing. pal Julie said, I know somebody you should know. Yep. Wow. Don't you love the world? It's amazing. It is amazing. And I can't believe your impeccable timing to bring the show <laughs> to a close with your birth of intention moment, the meeting of Alice the Great Horned Owl, who... Just tell folks before we leave, she's she's uh, plump and 26 now, isn't she? Yep. She, well, she will be 26. She will be. Oh, yeah, right. At the, at the festival. That's at her, her party. hatch day party. Yeah. We, always, we still have hatch day cake for her, even though she doesn't come. Uh, and, well, uh, she is retired. Yeah. She's retired. She's currently sitting on two eggs, and will probably pop out a third one here in a day or two. Well, by the time this airs, she will have three eggs, most likely. It's always I a- hope so. Here's to it, Alice. Yeah, and then she loves to sit on them, so she'll be on them for a couple of months before is- we take them away. Not fertile, because there's no boy out. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny how you need both if you want chicks. Well, my dear, thank you all for listening. You've been hearing the amazing Carla Bloom talk about the owl life, her past and her future. Carla, thank you so much for coming in this morning. Well, thanks for letting me talk about owls. As you can tell, I enjoy it very much. And you're darn good at it. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversations, WDRT's Thursday morning talk show. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in again next week and every week for a fascinating conversation with a wonderful person. You take good care. (laughs) 